left foot. See him holding on to his knee, holding on to his knee and down. I episode four of I Could Have Gone Pro podcast by Nigel and Danny. We've actually got four episodes out, which is crazy to me. How are you feeling, Danny? I'm not too bad. It's kind of late because certain man wanted to be asleep, but we'll move. We move. It's eleven thirty. Nah, the grind here. continues. The grind continues. I know. I know. So what do we want to speak about first? Then where are we going? I'm I'm a bit excited and I'm a bit delusional, but I want to talk about how many teams can actually win the Premier League this year. Okay, you tell me who I'm, you think could win the um the title. So I've got I've got like my own I've got a tier system that I've created kind of. So obviously we know that City we have they have a back four every week, right? Just a completely new back four all the time. They don't really know what's going on there. Liverpool Virgil van Dijk has just got eight months off in ACL. After that terrible Pickford challenge, I don't want to get into it. And then Firmino as well, you know, I have no faith in that guy. I just wanted to call him out a little bit. I don't know if any of these teams are as elite as we thought they were going to be. It doesn't look like they're going to run away with it. So I think the next tier below them is like, if these teams fulfill their potential before the end of the season, they potentially could win this title if um, Liverpool and City don't sort themselves out. And that's tier two. So in there, I've got Chelsea and I've got Spurs in terms of teams that can, if they sort themselves out and just put it together for one year, can steal that title. And then in tier three, I've got Everton and I've left a space open there and I wanted to see if you would put your your beloved Arsenal into into that tier three. You know, I sometimes hate speaking to you about football. Like, your your love for Tottenham, you know, you've played well. You've played really well as of late, so I have to give you that. Um, but being an Arsenal fan, it actually makes me sick to my stomach to put Chelsea and Tottenham above me or above Arsenal. However, if you can get your defence sorted out, I can see that your team has potential. At the start of the game, you were in top form. And Harry Kane's playing out of his mind. Son's playing out of his mind. If Bell gets match sharpness, he did it. He did look kind of slow when he played against. Um, who did you play? West, West Ham. Ham. But I suppose as he gets used to Premier League football and the intensity, he will benefit. Wait, 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 wait. Slow as compared to Bell, or just slow? Slow as compared to Bell. Okay. Okay. Uh, he lost. He's lost that element of speed. Like Bellerin used to be very, very quick, but now yeah. he's still quick, but he's just not as explosive as he was before. Now we go to Chelsea. Yeah. Chelsea have a good attacking team, however their defense their defense is terrible. Kepa, I don't know what's happening with him, and I know they've signed this Mendy guy. Apparently he's injured. I've yet to see him play, so I don't know how good or bad he is. He looked decent when he played us in the um, F League Cup, was it? Carabao Cup? Okay, fair enough. So if he comes in, but I don't think that detracts from the fact that they still are letting in a lot of goals and it doesn't seem... Like, I know Kepa's been playing badly and he's been responsible for a lot of lot of Chelsea's goals. Yeah. They're still conceding a lot. 
and that can't all be down to him. At some point, you're going to have to look at the defence and think. The weird thing with Chelsea is, I genuinely think every point that they've thrown away was due to an individual error. Yeah. Like, they've given away so many points this season. Even um, the one of the goals that they conceded this year was, well, this game, last game, was um, Havertz just dawdling on it in midfield. Yeah, I see that. Um, another one was the ball just kind of kept a, missed the ball and then slid into the post. Like I don't actually know what he did there, you know. It's just terrible. I was watching that. I was thinking yeah, to myself, why didn't he just catch the ball or just punch it off the pitch? He almost went to slash tackle <laughs> yeah. the ball. And I was thinking, what are you playing at? Yeah, I, I just, he slid into the post that second time. Was it's made no sense whatsoever. And the fact that he cost seventy two million, he may be one of the worst signings of all time. But I yeah, think I it think also comes I down to the fact game. that he's got a lack of confidence, and that's affecting his his play. And now we have Liverpool losing Virgil Van Dijk is very um, is very very big, big for the league, big for Liverpool. He is their defensive stalwart. Mm. And I feel like Matip coming back and Van Dijk being there, Liverpool would have been a real force. Thiago was looking amazing. So, yeah. I thought like Liverpool would do... You know do what a... I was thinking, though? After our, after our podcast last week, I was thinking, we've spoken about Liverpool and we've talked about their defence and all this and all that and just their problems. Yeah. But it's the same team that was absolutely infallible last year. And it's just so hard to figure out why they look like they can't defend anymore. It's just their performance levels aren't as high. it was just a team that couldn't lose. I think after getting 97 points and then winning the Champions League, they're on a high and they're just... They have that motivation to continue. It's almost like what the Warriors went through after winning the Championship. And when it got to like three or four, it's that how many times can we go and consistently play at a high level there's going to be a drop-off. Do we still have the same mm. motivation? We don't have the goals of winning the Premier League anymore because we've now accomplished that. Do we now want to be yeah. back-to-back champions or are we content with having that one champ- with that one Premier League title? So I think that's a lot of what Liverpool... Or that's where Liverpool's problems lie. I think when they sort that out and Thiago starts to dictate play and they... F- Refind their identity, they'll be a strong team. Now, let's move yeah. to Everton and Arsenal. A thing about Arsenal. Oh, you are putting Arsenal in there. I don't think we can have the chance to win the league, if I'm to be honest, unless Arteta changes the system. And I know that's a stark contrast from what I was saying about us becoming third. And yeah. I've always had the opinion that we would come top four. But I just don't think we have the capabilities of winning the league. And considering your question is, who can win the league? I don't think I can put Arsenal there. And I think... Do you think Everton can? Everton are playing well. They haven't shown me anything that can suggest that they can't maintain their level of form. They have Mm. changed their outlook. They've got a new coach who is a renowned winner, who has the expertise and the know-how with regards to sustaining a title challenge. Their players have improved significantly, but they're just looking like a very, very good side, who are very well coached, and their team works so well together. 
Like every single player in their team is vital to their success. They've got the creativity in the middle yeah. of the park. Also, they've got that engine. They've got Cavalier, who again is in a great run of form. Um, Bro, how many how many um, goals do you think Calvert Lewin will f- score this year? Because I last I'll show you his stats from 2017 to 18 to now. So 2017 to 18 was 32 games, four goals in the Premier League. 2008 2019 was 35 games, six goals. 2019 2020 was 36 goal 36 games, 13 goals. 2021 to 2020 2021 is five matches, seven goals. I think he'll touch 19 to 22. I don't see him getting more than that. Um, at some point, people are going to start to figure out he's very good in the air. They're not going to take Everton for granted. But it could become one of those situations where you don't take Everton for granted. They are just so much better than every other team that they're playing against that... Although you're aware of what's happening, you yourself can't yeah. stop it. It took teams like a whole year to figure out that Leicester's going to kick the ball over the top to Vardy. Exactly. And just the way they were playing was very, very energetic. And they had a lot of industrious players who were willing to do the go the extra distance to grind out a result. And back to Arsenal, I'm caught... The thing is, our team's good... But we're missing that creative spark in the middle of the park. Playing two in the midfield, every team we've played against, we're getting overrun. So it's time for Arteta to now go to a four-back, put three in midfield and go for a 4-3-3. That's what most of the teams we're talking about play. From Liverpool to Tottenham, City, Aston Villa, um, United, every team... Essentially, plays Wait, a three in the middle of the park. How the hell did you just get Aston Villa into that? Well, they're second. They're second in the league. I can't, I can't disparage a team that's second has got a perfect record. They're four, four games, four wins, and their goal difference is like plus ten. And I know that is partly down to the Liverpool result, but nonetheless, I'm not going to yeah, be like. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to see that trend continue before we have seen that trend. I start saying Arsenal to need to model themselves after that. No, we don't need to model ourselves after Villa, but a lot of good teams now have a very dynamic midfield, and we can't compete that with one less less midfielder. You can essentially can just I play ask triangle. You what, what does what does Zaka do? Chaka. Yeah. Possible sideways. That's pretty much his role. I think. Do you know what I would like to see? I would like to see Ceballos, Party, and Özil. And I know Özil hasn't played in a while. But he offers that creativity. And with Aubameyang, Pepe and either Lacazette, William, Saka, Nelson, whoever we want to play as the other winger or the wingers, that is, that's what we need. We need someone that can put the ball in behind or can spot a pass. And we, we've not been doing that. And one, one issue that is really frustrating me is we're playing defensive against every team. And it doesn't make sense. There are teams that we should not be playing defensive against, but we're playing a five-back. We're playing against Sheffield United, West Ham, and we're grinding out results when we can play a more expansive style of football and express ourselves. And I'm not going to condemn him and say he's like an Emery, 
However, I don't want us to get into a situation where we can't adapt to the opposition that we're playing and we're only able to play one style of football. So that's why I would kind of agree with your your tiered system. But yeah, I just don't think anyone will go away and take the league by storm. I think it will just be a, there'll be a lot of drop points and it's who can pick up results against the bad teams and win a lot of those games, not many draws. I think you'll need to win maybe 95% of those games and who can get 50% of the top four, beat 50% of the top four and whoever does that, I think it's winning the league. I've left Leicester out of that tier as well. Um, Inconsistent. I just they haven't they haven't really convinced me this year. So I think I'm I'm happy to say I think it's really a five horse race, a four, yeah, five horse race with Everton, um, Spurs, Chelsea, and then City and Liverpool out in front. But yeah, that's my tier list. Every team in that list has the potential to completely fumble the bag. So if Arsenal was able to maintain a consistent level of form, because we haven't been fumbling in the bag like all the teams above us, we haven't been smashed by any team. We have been beaten, but if we're able to be consistent, then we may be having a different story come February, March. Yeah. So... And it's funny because people... Remember in other leagues, people always used to say, oh, it's terrible in this league because you know... Um, Real Madrid and Barcelona are going to walk away with it or you know Bayern Munich is going to walk away with it or you know PSG Juve is going to walk away with it and we kind of had we kind of had the same situation with the Premier League which was something that we'd never seen before but now we've got a super competitive league again where it feels like we just don't know who's going to win coming in it's kind of nice to have that back a potato flew around my room before you came excuse well, I've been reading a book recently called The Big Short, and one thing about it that was really interesting was a guy called Michael Burry, and he was one of those guys that bet against the stock market in the recession, and he made, I think, something close to £750 million for his investment fund. And that led me to think, and I could see some similarities between my, um, Michael Burry and you in the fact that you are very intellectually curious, which is a good thing. But I also thought, initially living with you, I thought you were just being extra. But I'm now starting <laughs> to think maybe he was onto something. Maybe he should be cynical of the world that we live in and we shouldn't just take everything at face value. So I kind of wanted to know why you've become that type of person, what's caused you to become so, yeah, so cynical what's made you so inquisitive with regards to topics that you research or things that you're interested in? To be honest, I'm not 100% sure. I think there's a few things, but I think the first thing was just, I think my personality is naturally inquisitive. Just off the fact that even if my parents used to tell me something, I was one of those people who just had to find out for himself. And also, I think the fact that going to church when I was younger and my parents used to always say to me Nigel don't listen to what this guy said like read it yourself or whatever make sure you know what's going on so I've always kind of thought I've always kind of looked at the world from a lens of there's always an angle there's always kind of an ulterior motive 
And until you see it for yourself, there's just no way that you could know about it. So if there's something that you want to know, you can't take someone's word at face value. You kind of need to get different angles from people with different interests and kind of make your mind, your own mind up for it. Do you know what I mean? But I kind of want to touch upon that. So you say you don't take things at face value and you try and find your own or try and develop your own opinion. But I think that bit is kind of interesting because when you read something, and I know this personally for myself, I'll read something and I'll take it as face value because it's information and nothing in my head is alarmed by the fact that this person may be expressing his own opinion. I'm taking it as he's a knowledgeable person I should follow his thought process because he knows more information than I do. So is it, I'm not saying you're arrogant, but is it a level of arrogance thinking, okay, although he is very knowledgeable in this field, I feel like I can have an alternative view to that and develop my own thinking that is completely contradictory to what this person is saying, who may have been studying this field for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every single person, however smart they are, like whatever their end motive was, even if it's God, as humans, you're just going to be flawed. Like no one's ever conducted any kind of research completely independently. You've always gone in with some kind of angle or you've always gone in thinking something. And firstly, I, I know that as a human, I have my own kind of biases. So I'm conscious of that whenever I say something. And I know when I'm looking at someone else saying something, I have to also be aware that they're just as human as me. Mm. So I don't really like, I don't really like to just kind of think this person wants me to learn. It's always, you never know what's going on. And I just like to form my own thoughts and things because until I can understand why I've reached my point of thinking or I I genuinely believe whatever's being said myself I can't kind of have any kind of um what do you call it what is a fortification behind it I guess so I guess so. I can't strongly stand behind it and say that's what I believe because I don't know if that's what I believe it's what someone that I read believes and I feel like in order to really believe something you need to have it for yourself at what point do you formulate an opinion then? At what section do you realise, okay, I've gathered enough information to now have my own opinion on a subject? Because it could seem like an endless circle where you just, you read something, okay, that's someone else, one person's opinion. Then you read someone else who's got a different opinion. Everyone's different yeah. and unique in their own, um, in their own way. So why is one thing resonating with you more than the other or is it just that is that come down to personality i'm guessing partially personality and set like i'd never i would never say on a topic that i know 100 percent because there's always that um graph i know that i'm in my yard i've got nothing that i can use to properly research anything worth researching or having an opinion on but there's that graph where it's kind of like you know you're learning and you're kind of naive to what you don't know hmm. and then you realize how little you know and then you realize that there's so much that you don't know so you kind of look at it like that and you can start to form opinions on it but you can never have a set opinion you can all you have to always be willing to take more information you can have a certain position but i'll never be 
I'd never be steadfast in my position to a point where I'm not willing to learn anything else from anyone else. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You're kind of, you're never finished, kind of. There's always more that you could have got from someone else or anything that someone tells you, even if they're from a different viewpoint, you can't, I can't necessarily dismiss it because I'm not in that position yet. And I think this, what we've been talking about is important because I think that re- that obviously relates to entrepreneurship. And in order for you to be successful, you have to have that level of critical thinking. I'm pretty sure no one what is... What makes you say that? Well, first of all, Michael Burry, he bet against the, um, the stock market. The reason why he was able to make so much money is because no one thought that the economy would crumble like it did. No one thought the government or lenders would be giving out... Um, would, loaning, would be loaning money to people at interest rate that they couldn't repay. It just doesn't make sense. Why would you give money to people that could potentially default on a very high risk? And then you also look at Apple and you have to see the Macintosh computer and how he initially developed that. When you see a superpower like Dell, but you think, I want to go in a different way. I want it to make be more aesthetically pleasing. I want it mm. to be more like a human. And now you you look at your iPhone and you look at the success that Apple's had and how that's been able to um, almost transform the lives of everyone or a lot of people. You go then to look at Tesla and you see electric cars. I know we have been progressing towards a more environmentally friendly society, but electric cars, who would have thought that you could almost have you could have something that you used to play with as a kid and now be driving around one of the highest tech cars which can all, which can now drive itself. Like, there's so many... You have to be groundbreaking and you have to be able to think and have a higher level of thought to be able to see what is go- going on right now and see, OK, this is the information that I've got now. How can I use this information and critically analyse this information? to now become a successful person within the world. And I know yeah. for me, I'm thinking to myself, well, we're getting to a, a stage where how many more inventions can there be? Like, it seems like there's everyone is trying to be an entrepreneur and everyone's thinking about things yeah. that can transform the world. We've done this world. before, though, bro. We've been like this before when everyone was looking around. Like In the Victorian age, I think someone said, after the industrial revolution someone said we've invented everything that can be invented but there's going to be more and that's that's what i'm saying maybe it was my naivety and maybe i wasn't thinking as critically as i should have done about the possibilities that this world has and now Mm. i'm starting to build take aspects of your thinking and try and apply that to my own life that maybe i should be more inquisitive about things that i hear and rather than just taking everything at face value, because I don't want to just be a collection of opinions. I want to be able to have my own opinion on something and be able to illustrate that, back that up with facts and statistics so that I can not just be the trend, I can be the outlier, if that makes sense. I think one of the most important things is, I'd, I'd, one of the things I try to do, like I always try to make sure that I'm not scared of being wrong. And I think sometimes we go into like conversations and we'd want to be right more than we want to get the truth. Or you kind of have a belief that you want to believe, 
But someone could say so many things to you, but it's like you're married to a position. And sometimes we marry positions that were just the first thing we heard. Do you know what I mean? We would never be like... I, sometimes people hear a certain angle on the topic that someone else told them or they got from this outlet or this whatever. And they've got so fired up about it that you could present them with the alter, alternate side of it. But now they're so married to this one side of the truth. Anything that you say is almost offensive. But you kind of you can never kind of be in that space where you feel like you can't learn anything or you've got a moral high ground in an argument. You just kind of have to be always willing to be wrong about whatever it is you're talking about because everyone's going to be wrong. But if you're wrong and now you know, how could you have got worse? The scope that opens up for you just off the fact that you're receptive and willing to hear other things allows you to have much more greater ideas and look at things from an outer perspective rather than inwards and kind of closed. Exactly, man. Exactly. And it's having that self-awareness to have a deep... or to, And that self-awareness and that willingness to have a deep understanding about a topic and not just mm. rely on what one person has said. And if anything, yeah. if you get anything from this conversation, I feel like that is the most important thing. Don't just be reliant, be inquisitive, try and find out new information. And that's something that I need to work on. And now I've become self-aware and that's become my reality. I now have the desire to learn more, to become more well-rounded. And yeah, I think, I'm not going to attribute that to you because you're going to get gassed, but you are part of the reason why I'm thinking that may be a route to go. That wasn't so hard to say, was it, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That wasn't so hard to say. The thing you didn't is, have to beat about. No, nah, the thing is, though, if I said it outright, I know after this podcast, you'd be shouting me saying I'm, that you're my inspiration. I'd have to be like, bro, you need to relax. So You called me son for a year, bro. I think I deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> obviously this saturday night i was absolutely crestfallen because my goat vasily lomachenko lost the chance to be the undisputed champion of the world to 23 year old teofimo lopez who fair enough to him put up a great performance but i was really just hurt by the performance that lomachenko put out because he didn't look like lomachenko at all you get a chance to see it yeah, I saw it and I 100% agree with you. Um, Lopez definitely looked like the aggressor throughout the whole fight and that was seen as in the statistics where he was completely out-punching Loma. However, Loma was a yeah, lot more bro. accurate. And one thing that also shocked me a lot was that Lopez was dominating the middle of the ring and from listening to boxers and that's always the most important aspect, he was stalking Loma down and finding him and that aggressiveness, Defo ended up being the difference in the fight. Um, yeah. Loma didn't look as elusive as he used to, or as he's looked previously in other fights. And for those of you who don't know, he's been one of the greatest boxers of our generation. Incredibly elusive fighter. Has embarrassed a number of people. However, in this fight, he looked like he'd met his match, really. And clearly he has because he's lost his belt. I know you're <laughs> going to want to delve into it deeper because this is your 
area of expertise. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I'm gonna give you a soliloquy, bro, because I'm heartbroken. I'm not gonna lie to you. Okay. I was heartbroken because um the first seven rounds, I was looking at my TV. At my well, I'm not gonna lie. I was looking at my laptop, and I was like, "This guy, like, who is he?" The first round, okay, cool. Have a feel out round. He was just kind of taking, um, avoiding the shots, just navigating his way around the ring. But even taking that first round on the back foot was interesting for me with Lomachenko because you know he's such a pressure fighter whether he's punching or not. So that that first round interested me. But I thought, you know what, maybe he's downloading the data, seeing kind of the power that Tiafimo has and kind of deciding to go from there. And then as the fight goes on, we're getting to round five, round six. And now I'm just looking at my laptop and I'm screw-faced because I'm thinking, who is this guy? Why... Why has he been on the back foot for six rounds, throwing single-digit punches every round, right? And it's been a lot of debate amongst bo- the boxing community. Just Is Lopez making Lomachenko hesitant or is Lomachenko himself being hesitant? And I think it was, on the most part, I think it was Lomachenko himself making himself hesitant. And I think there was two things that I think um, Lopez said. Number one, he said... Um, basically Lomachenko is too small for me I'm going to send him back down the weight class and you notice every time Teofimo Lopez got a chance to hit him to the body or get him against the ropes he'd literally send Lomachenko either up into the air hmm. or he'd dash him against the ropes and he was like bouncing off the ropes and he looked like a little like one thing Kendall. that I'm interested in hearing from your perspective what do you think Loma's game plan was going into the fight because he didn't look like it was never going to be um, knockout Lopez so yeah. I, I was thinking okay he's going to have it was going to be a hand-to-hand combat as boxing is he's going to try and feed him out he's going to win some rounds lose other rounds but his caution it got to a point where you get to round five six seven and Lopez down heavy and now you're looking okay how is he going to be able to recover this because he's never going to be able to knock him out yeah and now he's got facts. a claw back he was, he was pillow punching him it just didn't make sense to me um, I don't know. I don't know what he was going for. I I had him winning a couple of the earlier rounds, just off the fact that even though he wasn't throwing, Lopez wasn't landing either. Yeah, and he looked very willing to be on the back foot. So I think the 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 judges shagged him a little bit. But I think I think if you give him two rounds, he may have had enough to win through the last six. A, a draw was definitely on the cards, but I think he said himself his plan was to take him into deep waters and drown him. Yeah, and I think he thought that he could get um, Tiafimo tired, which he started to do in the end, but he finished it like a champ. Yeah, and I think he thought he was going to be able to step on the gas and kind of break his will, which he's been able to do for with so many opponents. But I think this time, number one, Lopez was f- too fast, and he fought back, mm. and Lomachenko let him get too comfortable to a point where his confidence was at that point where he was willing to throw those power punches and he was willing to sit on it and. He knew he could go toe-to-toe with this guy. He wasn't terrified of him at all. Exactly. Very comfortable in the ring. And I felt like he was... He allowed himself to be open towards the latter stages of the fight because Lopez looked a lot more closed off. He was a lot more protective of himself. But towards the end, it kind of looked like he was exchanging shot for shot and he wasn't too afraid of yeah. his power. So it's, it's an interesting fight. Flooding. Exactly. The guy can hit hard. Like... I know for a fact 
them ones would have worked my jaw differently. But obviously, these men are pro fighters. But I, I was expecting Loma to be the matrix that he is. That's what he's known as. He's known as a guy that can just evade punches. I wasn't seeing any of those highlights that I've seen in YouTube videos before. He literally was getting hit, stung repeatedly. And I'm expecting him to ha see a couple highlights of him just dodging, dodging out the way, being his charismatic self in the ring. But it kind of, it was kind of like he had no personality. He's lost, he lost everything that made him so special. Um, yeah, bro, it was so weird. I'm not seeing Lomachenko on the front foot. Weird. I don't think I've ever seen him like that. Do you want to talk about the scorecard as well? Because I know, I think one woman gave it like 119, 110, didn't she? I think 119, 109. And 109. And yeah. it didn't look like that big of a discrepancy when I was watching the fight. But maybe you saw something different that I didn't see. Yeah, I mean, Lomachenko won at least four rounds. Yeah. I think 7 to 11, you can make the argument that he won all of them. I had an argument that maybe he won one or two within the first six. Yeah. Um. Sorry, 8 to 11, he won all of them. But that scorecard, I think number one boxing has always had a problem with judges. And the problem is no one will ever answer for it. But my own, well, not my own conspiracy theory, but I've seen people saying that because this is Teofimo, um, Lo I mean, Lomachenko's last fight with top rank. Obviously, it makes sense that they'd want to usher in their new star. Teofimo Lopez is that brash kind of pay-per-view style out of the same mould as Floyd and that same kind of likeable personality. Brooklyn attitude, he's Hispanic. So he's going to be really remarkable in the future, possibly a new Canelo for the um, lightweight division. So it makes sense that Bob Arum kind of wanted however it went we knew Loma wasn't going to knock out Lopez but it makes sense that top rank was putting their eggs in that Teofimo Lopez basket do you know what I mean yeah I don't really know much about that situation I know you're a big boxing listener watcher so you're probably more I mean I don't want to I don't I don't like making I don't like making the fight that fight about the judges though because mm. ultimately Lopez won that fight no contest um so the the kind of controversy around the judges it was like it's fair but what can you say when the guy doesn't outcome. fight for seven rounds we're going to talk about we're going to talk about judges it makes sense it does make sense he did deserve to win in my yeah. opinion and fair play to him 23 years old he's probably made bank off that fight and now yeah it's his it's his turn to cement his legacy which i'm sure he's going to do over the next five to ten years so that should be interesting to watch it makes me sad not knowing if we're going to get the same Lomachenko ever again. I think COVID robbed us. Wait, do you think that Lopez and Lomachenko will fight again? There's no rematch clause. There's no rematch clause, but do you think... Nah. I've seen that Lopez seems like the type of guy that likes to fight the big fighters. As he said in his quote, a lot of people want to be Mayweather, but they've got to be pretty boy Floyd first. And I think we spoke about this in the previous podcast, the calibre of fighters that Floyd had fought early on in his career. Do you think Lopez would want to be that fighter that proves himself and tries to go against Lopez again to show it was... Not Lopez, sorry, Loma again, to show it wasn't a fluke? I don't think it's that kind of fight, bro. You don't think it so? It was comprehensive. The, it, the fight doesn't deserve a rematch. It was one of them. It wasn't like a tightly contested fight. 
The majority of people had Loma win. I mean, Lopez winning. He seemed like he was way too big for him. There wasn't. There was maybe a moment where you thought this could be interesting, but he won that fight. Do you know what I mean? It's, there's there's no one who's like, if you run it back though, he just seemed too big, too powerful, and Loma just couldn't get started. It's one of them. I don't think I don't think Loma did enough to earn himself a rematch. All right, cool. Well, do you want to wrap it up there? Yeah, man. Let's let's leave it at that. We appreciate you coming in and giving us 45 minutes of your time again. Every like, share, and anything that you do for us is appreciated. Just word of mouth again. And yeah, man.